0: The Cardinals are just kind of the the, the consistency. They're that, you know, that uh, nice cup of cocoa on a, on a cold winter's night. It's always there to warm you up. Uh, it's not the most exciting thing in the world looking at it from 10,000 feet up, but it's always there. You know, I don't think people have them in the same uh, stratosphere with the Dodgers. Now, I'll be interested to see sort of where they compare going into the year next year with a team like the Padres, who is this big, hot, young, up-and-coming team. With some star power, with Machado and Tatis, and you know, I think the Padres excite people more than the Cardinals. But I don't think I don't think anybody looks at the Cardinals and goes, "Man, that team needs to blow it up and rebuild," because they're just always they're always in contention.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, Joined this week by executive reporter and MLB insider for MLB.com and the MLB Network, and he's a friend, Mark Feinstein. Mark, thank you very much for joining me. First off, what is your initial impression here a few days into free agency? Is it going to be chilly? Is it going to be frigid? Is it going to be baseball's ice age?
0: I'm sorry. I didn't realize free agency started yet. I've been waiting for <laughs> it uh, I think... Ice Age might be a little too strong, but I think it's somewhere between Frigid and Ice Age. I just think there's so much uncertainty right now um, in the sport financially. Coming off of the pandemic-shortened season, obviously teams took a bath in terms of revenues this year. Uh, I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, league versus players association and who says who lost how much money. I think it's very clear the industry as a whole lost a lot of money this year. Uh, You know, not being able to a single fan into the stands until the NLCS uh, is, is damaging. There's just no question about it. So, um, you know, some teams certainly rely on their in-stadium revenue a lot more than others. Uh, you know, the teams that have monstrous television deals probably, you know, also get big attendance. And so there was a lot of money lost there, too. But some of the teams, and I'm thinking of teams like the Brewers or uh, maybe the Indians, um, who really rely on that in-stadium revenue... Uh, this was a really bad year. And I think the the first thing that you can see to give you an indication of what this winter could look like was the Brad Hand situation. This is Mm -hmm. one of the top three or five closers in the game who was basically put out there for the other 29 teams and said, here, if you want him on a one-year $10 million deal, you can have him. You don't have to give up anything. And nobody claimed him. And just a year ago, we saw relievers, Right, Will Smith got a bunch of money, and and Drew Pomerantz got a bunch of money, uh, and you know here you are, where a team just has to make a one year commitment for ten million for one of the best closers in the game, and nobody was willing to do it. So that was a uh, sort of a stark indication to me of what this upcoming winter could look like.
1: Let me play contrarian though to the hand thing and just get your thoughts on this. Is is it possible that there are teams that could afford him for one million or for one year at ten million? but didn't take him because they think they can get him for less as the market creators. Is it possible that some teams just passed on him strategically, not financially? Sure, I think
0: that's possible. That's possible. But now, now he's out in the free agent market. Right. And right. first of all, when you have a guy like him at 30 years old, who's had the success that he's had, it's hard to imagine. He's going to have to settle for a one year deal. He may get a lower AAV than $10 million. Um, right. If he signs a two or a three year deal. But I, I, I if I had to take an over/under on what he gets guaranteed money off of this market, I'd have to think it's over ten million dollars. Um, you know, guys like Liam Hendricks, Alex Colomé, they're out there mm-hmm. as well. Now there's competition for closers. Um, you know that Han has to face. But I, you know, the thing teams love is that cost certainty without having to make a lengthy financial commitment. Every year we, we're sitting here talking about, uh, you know, well they're going to sign this player to a five-year deal and. Years four and five might look so good, but they'll probably get their value uh, in the first three years. Well, here's a guy, age 30, prime of his career, uh, you know, top closer in the league, available on a one-year deal, and nobody jumped. And, you know, maybe some of the the bigger financial uh, teams were set at closer. I mean, like the Yankees weren't going to claim him. They have a role as Chapman and and Zach Britton, and they're committed to the two of them for about, you know, what, $30 million a year combined. So it didn't make sense that a team like the Yankees would go for him. But there were other teams. I mean, you're telling me the Phillies couldn't have used Brad Hand in their bullpen for a year on a one-year commitment? Um, so I don't know. It just it surprised me. But I think, if nothing else, it really was an indication of where this market may be headed. Because even if you're the Phillies or you're, um, you know, some other team, the Padres or some other team looking for bullpen help, and you think, well, I think we can get him for less than 10 million. Well, guess what? Now he has to choose you as well. So mm-hmm. you know, you could have just said. You know, the, the well, I guess the Phillies don't have a GM in place right now. Ned Rice, their assistant GM, <laughs> acting as their GM, could have said, "You know what? We're going to take Brad Hand. He's going to be our closer in 2021. We're going to pay him the 10 million, and he's ours." And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Now, on free in free agency, Brad Hand could say, yeah, "I don't really want to live in Philadelphia, or I don't really want to pitch in cold weather, or I really would rather be in California, or whatever it may be." He has options now that he didn't have. Uh, when he was out there on waivers.
1: The, the reason why I ask and kind of turn that question around was because here in St. Louis, obviously the question is about Colton Wong, right? Any other year, and that's probably a layup um, when it comes to an option 12 and a half million, buyout for a gold glove second baseman who plays up the middle for a team that focuses entirely on run prevention and that's its strength. So he, in a lot of ways, fits the team they want to be, not to mention he was a homegrown player. So all these things come, you know, kind of coalesce into this contract. Making sense for them to keep. And yet, because of the climate, they see an immediate need to reduce salary in 11 million and move on. But the other element of that is they feel like they may be able to go back and talk to him. Now, he'll have his choices, obviously, and that's the risk that they make, but they could go back and talk to him and say, Hey, look, you know, we'd like to sign you. We'll guarantee you more than the 12 and a half million you would have gotten because it's going to be a multi year deal, but it's going to be really low. A you know a salary for 2021. It might be five for 2021, but it could be a $22 million deal, but they could structure it that way. And in talking with him, that was actually something that he wondered. He was like, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they have that conversation with me before making that choice? Well, there were rules in play, obviously, in regards to that, and like how much of a pay cut he could take, how they could structure that and everything. But by going into free agency, now they let the market Kind of dictate that, and I I think that's an interesting element of of what's ahead for us is not just what the guarantee looks like, but what that salary in twenty twenty one looks like.
0: I think you're right, and I think you're going to see a lot of free agents, at least those who don't sign one year deals. I think we're going to see an abundance of one year deals uh, Mm. this winter, as as both teams and players and their agents look ahead and say, "Let's bite the bullet for this year and hit the free agent market again a year from now," and hopefully. You know, there's a vaccine, and there are some people back in the stands, and and revenues look a little more normal, uh, and teams might be more willing to spend. A year from now, I think you're going to see a lot of one-year deals. But I do believe that in multi-year deals, you're going to see, um, you know, a depressed number uh, in that first year. Teams are going to try to, you know, save some money on the front end. It it counts all the same in terms of the luxury tax. That's an AAV thing. So. Right. If you sign if you sign a player to a two year twenty two million dollar deal and you give them five in twenty twenty one and seventeen in twenty twenty two, your luxury tax number is going to be eleven both years. But in terms of cold hard cash, that's going to be a big deal. And I think you know for a lot of these teams, cold hard cash is going to be the thing they're most worried about uh, because they didn't have the same revenues come in in twenty twenty and they don't know if they're going to have the same revenues come in in twenty twenty one. So um, I think you're going to see a lot of people get very creative. Um, it's almost too bad that Scott Boris doesn't have a ton of clients this winter <laughs> because nobody gets more creative than Scott Boris. And I would have just been entertained watching him uh, try to structure some of these deals to make sense financially, or even if it didn't happen, just to hear the pitches that he was giving to teams around the league. Uh, Here, here's how you can afford this guy, you know, pay him $6 million this year and then $39 million next year, whatever it may have been. That would have been entertaining, but I think there is going to be a lot of creativity necessary because I don't know if you are planning on, on asking this or getting to this. But right now we have about 180 free agents on the market. Mm-hmm. December second is the non tender day. Yeah, I would have more. I would it's anticipate crazy. there could be a hundred more free agents on the market. Yeah, right. I mean, yep. if every team non tender is an average of three to four players mm-hmm. off their roster that day, you could have a hundred more players flood the market. You could have 280 players. On the free agent market, that's more than a third of the league. So, well, you could have you,
1: know, you could have more than that. You could have three hundred because you're going to have some of these guys coming off the forty man here shortly.
0: Yeah, right. You're right.
1: Make room for prospects, and yeah. so you're going to have these six year free agents or these double DFA guys who can opt for free agency. I, I think it's a really it's going to be. I, I wrote a little bit about this last week um, that said, you know, look, the the teams that are letting players go. Are actually a self fulfilling prophecy. They want to spend less, so what are they going to get to do? There's going to be more supply than demand, so they'll be able to spend less. It's really kind of an issue from the players' point of
0: view, I think. Uh, it, as well, it should be. I mean, I, you know, if I was running the player association, or if I was a, a high up, you know, executive of the PA, I'd be very nervous about this winter. And you know, the thing is, I don't think you're going to hear much about collusion which is usually what you hear about when uh yeah. you know when 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 spending is down because this year is such a, a bizarre year in terms of the revenue and the 60 game season and and the uncertainty over 2021 I think teams are just going to be a lot more you know careful about what they spend I think owners right now are trying you know I sp- I've spoken to a couple of executives in the last few days and I said, so do you guys have any idea what your payroll is going to be this year? I said, no, we've no idea. We've had some sort of vague conversations about it, but you know, until the owner figures out the revenue situation, sort of wrapping up 2020, looking ahead to 2021. And until you know, if there are going to be people in the ballparks uh, or how many games you're going to play um, there's no way to, to, to determine that yet. So I think right now, I would guess almost every team is in limbo about what their payroll is going to look like because there are so many unanswered questions um, that it just makes it impossible to, you know, to really figure that out.
1: The Cardinals are definitely one of those teams. They don't know how many games they're going to play. They don't know the size of their roster. They don't know if they're going to have a DH. They they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. The list of things they don't know is very long, and all of that contributes to a budget that they don't know, even though now they're into their fiscal year for 2021. Those conversations that you have with executives are one of the more fascinating things, of the many fascinating things that you do um, and provide for MLB.com. And I want to ask you about that. But after I tell people about our sponsor, imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design specializes in custom closets, pantries, laundry rooms, garages, and more. Now get 40% off plus an additional 15% off. Closet by Design of St. Louis, 314-733-9855. That's 314-733-9855. Closet by Design, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. One of the recent articles you did, Mark, for MLB.com was an executive poll Um, about the best free agents like Real Muto, Springer, who are the best guys on the market based on the opinion of anonymous officials. And in, in structuring that, and I don't know the timing in which you did that poll, but I wonder what the feedback was you got from them in terms of like caveats. Like, well, this is the guy who in a normal off season would be the best, or this is a guy if we all had a full season, we would
0: all chase after. Did you hear things like that? As they ranked them. So the question, excuse me, the question that I asked them was very simple. Who is the best free agent this offseason and why do you think that? Uh, I didn't put any, you know, in a normal season, in a shortened season, coming off a shortened season. I just put it out there because the last, what made me ask this question and think about it was last year, it was very clear. Everybody thought that Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon was the top free agent. The year prior to that, it was Bryce or Manny, which one you got? Um, so in both of the both of those off seasons, it's a very binary question. A or B. Those those are the only options. This year, I was talking to somebody and I said, Who do you think the best free agent is? He said, I bet if you asked twenty people, you'd get at least four different answers. I said, You know what? I'm gonna do that. So I did. And uh, you know, most of the people who gave answers weren't necessarily saying,
1: you know, the one thing you heard
0: a lot is, well, it depends on what your roster looks like. And and, you know, what What are you in most need of, right? Do you, I mean, there are several players who would make every team out there better. Um, but, you know, just just if you could pick one, who would it be? So mm-hmm. 21 people I ended up speaking to, 10 of them chose JT Real Muto as their top guy. Six chose Trevor Bauer. Four yeah. chose George Springer. And one chose DJ LeMayhew. And, you know, the one thing um it was interesting to me that that while real muto was the winner there was not a majority for any of these guys right um yeah yeah so
1: none uh, of them got they had to win the electoral college exactly so, exactly real muto had to win the electoral college
0: that's exactly right um,
1: that's topical
0: topical that's i like that that's is there an election let's no, not gonna yeah um so so i think you know what i heard from a lot of people was real muto is is a really he's almost like a unicorn because <laughs> the top catcher in the league doesn't usually get to free agency. Right? When's the last time that the best catcher in the league hit the free agent market? Maybe Pudge Rodriguez. Am I missing somebody in there? I mean, Yachty's never gotten to the free agent market during his prime. Um, mm-hmm. um, I
1: can't, Paul LaDuca did right.
0: Yeah, but uh, LaDuca was wasn't he the best? There. I don't know. Is That's he, a tough. One. he a game changer like uh, you know? Like JT Realmuto or, no. or or somebody like that, um, probably not. So
1: Buster Posey never did.
0: Right, Posey signed his extension before he got there. So I just you know Brian McCann got a big deal from the Yankees, but was he the best catcher in the game? Uh, you know, probably not. Molina
1: was right.
0: right. So um, Joe Mauer
1: never got out there when he right. was in the peak of his thing. Correct. I mean,
0: Grandal got out there once, but I think he was uh, he was probably a little past his prime and, and besides at that point I don't think anybody really believed he was leaving the Yankees anyway um, right. but le- the point is it's very rare. It's very right. rare for uh, for the best catcher in the game to hit the open market and so um, you know the fact that Real Muto is out there is uh, is is notable. Um, so that was number one. Number two, the fact that he can run and field and hit he's sort of the do-it-all catcher, which is also sort of unicornish in this game these days. Um, You know, guys, you've either seen the Posada Piazza types who were all hit no glove, or you've seen some big-time defensive players who couldn't really hit. Um, It's very rare that you have a complete player. So that was one thing that was very, um, you know, sort of the overwhelming reason why uh, Real Muto was the number one. Bauer was the number two, and everybody said, "Look, you know, every, every team needs an ace, right? Even teams that have the best pitching staffs could add Bauer, put him in his rotation, yeah. and be better." Um, yep. Bauer's off the field persona caused a few people some pause, um, but at the same time, I think uh, everybody acknowledges, you know, he's he's a great pitcher and w- would help everybody. Springer, sort of the same thing. And I thought it was interesting with Real Muto, Bauer, Springer, Lemayhew, four players, four different positions. Uh, So there wasn't like you were comparing any of them to each other in in some sense. Um, You know, everybody looked at Springer as an, as an impactful player. Um, And, you know, some people said, if it weren't for real Muto being there, I would definitely have taken Springer or uh, whatever it was. You know, a couple guys said, can I have all of them? You know,
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) but no no one said that the circumstances coming out of, a shortened season or a pandemic change their answer
0: no not really i mean bauer obviously had the best season of his career and it was in a shortened season so I yeah know, you wonder if he's making 32 starts instead of 11 would he have put up the same type of numbers i don't know
1: Well he would have had as many starts or he would have had three more starts in great american ballpark or great american small park right. than he had total so that would be a factor Um, He would have had to face the Dodgers, you'd think, in the NL West, as opposed to the meek lineups of the NL and AL Central that produced four Cy Young finalists and leaves a bunch of us scratching our head. Um, So, I mean, that has to be baked into it.
0: Yeah, of course. It's all baked into it to some extent. Um, You know, I heard in a vacuum I bet on Bauer having the most single season impact for a, a good team in 2021, mm-hmm. but Springer being oh. the safest bet uh, you know, of, of the group. But again, Real Muto, the positional rarity race seemed to be the thing that um, that was overwhelming. The other thing that I heard from a couple of them was Real Muto is the only one of the free agents on the market this year who can make the claim of being the best player at his position. Free agent. Not, right? I mean, as yeah. good as Springer is, as good as LeMahieu is, as good as Bauer is, You can come up with somebody else in the majors. You would take over them at those positions. Real Muto is the only one where you say there isn't a catcher in the majors better than JT Real Muto right now. And that's, um, you know, that's something that can be factored. So, you know, when you look at these four guys, maybe you throw Marcelo Zuna in there, those guys should get paid. Those guys shouldn't have a huge problem finding very nice deals. We saw even in the middle of this odd season Mookie Betts landing a $365 million contract. Now, Mookie Betts is different than everybody else except for Trout, right? I mean, he's arguably the second best player in the game. Um, So, and he was on a team in Los Angeles that had a lot of money and could could afford to do that. Um, So I think a lot of it's going to come down to which teams are willing to spend uh, and of those teams that are willing to spend, who needs these positions, right? I mean, you're looking at, uh, some teams and you'd say, well, you know, team A has money to spend, but they don't really need a center fielder or they don't really need a catcher. Um, so sometimes the positional factor goes into, uh, you know, who's who's going to be in play. I mean, I remember, you'll, I know you remember, uh, when Albert was a free agent mm-hmm. and there was some buzz going out there that the Yankees were going to make a play for pool holes. And I said, wait a second, Mark Teixeira has six years left on his contract at, you know, twenty six million dollars a year, or whatever it was. They're not getting Albert Pools, but it became a story for like two days because mm-hmm. Brian Cashman had acknowledged he had spoken to Dan Lozano, and everyone was like, "Ooh, the Yankees might make a play for Pools." It's like, no, no, they they don't. The, the Every GM talks to every agent at some point to check <laughs> in and like because if they, you know, let's even a, even a GM of a of a team at the bottom of the list on budgets, right? Yeah they talk to every agent as well. Because what if you find out that some free agent who you thought was going to cost $22 million a year ends up signing for $13 million a year and you never call the yep. agent just to check in, you're not doing your job, right? So right. Th- that's why I always love the stories and I, I, I caution every reader, every baseball fan, every hot stove junkie that I know or meet and say when you see a story that says Team A has spoken to the agent for Player B, just ignore it because every team talks to every agent because that's yep. their job.
1: <laughs> that's their job. You're my so, hero. So, so I, I learned my lesson when I covered hockey and I was told by an agent that he had talked to the blues about a certain player. I'm like, wow, that'd be, that's huge news. I mean, this this player was a former captain was, you know, a player a winger that they needed. And I'm like, Oh, well that, that would be big news. And I learned to, ask the follow-up question because as soon as I did, like I <clears throat> turned to the you know, agents said, well, I spoke to them. I'm like, yeah, but did they speak back? <laughs> right. And he goes, oh, uh, well, I'm like, he, I'm like, you called them, but did they call you back? Right. And that's always the question because, you know, of course, the, the Cardinals are going to talk to every agent. This is not news. This is their job. This is predictable. We could break that news right now. Cardinals are going to speak to the agents of free agents.
0: That's that's called due diligence. That's called you have to make the call, check in. Hey, you know, we'd be interested at a certain price or, you know, hey, just wanted to see what you guys were thinking, whatever it may be. Uh, they all speak. So, yeah, the idea that, uh, that that is actually newsworthy always makes me laugh because it's not.
1: All right. Dan Lozano also represented Carlos Beltran back then to get into the Wayback Machine. And that was one of the fascinating parts of that inside baseball from the Cardinals perspective and maybe part of the conversation too, with the Yankees at that time, if I remember correctly, was if Albert signed elsewhere, the Cardinals wanted to be in position to pivot towards Carlos Beltran, which they eventually did. But that meant talking to the same agent about that plan.
0: Well, we've seen that a bunch of times, right? I mean, yeah. we've seen the uh, <laughs> same agent. I'm thinking of actually two years ago, Dan Lozano had Manny Machado and Josh Donaldson. And, uh, you know, some yep. of the teams that were talking to Machado were looking at Donaldson as a Plan B, and that's got to be a, a tricky spot for for an agent to be in. I know there have been plenty of times where where Scott Boris has had uh, multiple clients at the same position who he was trying to hawk to the same teams, and um, you know, you just do your best you can for your client, I guess. And if you're the team, you have to decide which player do you like more, and and what's your Plan A, what's your Plan B, what's your Plan C, and kind of go from there. But yeah, that's a uh, that ha- I find that happens a lot in the, um, in the broadcasting business as well, where uh, an agent, <laughs> an agent know. With a couple of broadcasters who are both going for the same job and it's like, well, that's got to be tricky if you're one of those clients, right? Where you know which which one of them is the agent fighting harder for or, you know, at least, at least in baseball, there's some statistics to back up, uh, you know, in terms of trying to figure out who's a better player, better fit, age comes into play. Uh, I think in other industries, yeah. that's a lot trickier.
1: It happens in college football as well, where they all seem to be represented by the same guy. So he gets to kind of pollinate the fields as he sees fit. So you brought up JT Romeo and one of the other free agents who is a free agent for the first time is Yadier Molina. You also mentioned that there are some teams that could spend one of them, at least one of them is in your backyard to give some background. Mark was a longtime Yankee beat writer for the New York daily news, and he's still there in the New York metropolitan area and knows a lot about those teams. The Mets, with a new owner, are they positioned to spend? And the tag-along question to that, the one on the coattails of that question, is does Yadier Molina factor in to conversations with either of those teams in your backyard?
0: Well, I think, well, to answer the first part of that question, are the Mets in position to spend? Uh, the new owner who was just approved is worth $14 billion. So uh, literally, 14 billion. So, numbers. like,
1: so what? He's an MLB insider at MLB yeah. Network. Which is a Big deal.
0: <laughs> so, Steve Cohen has the ability to spend whatever he darn well pleases. Uh, <laughs> now, obviously, he's going to have to figure out what kind of payroll he wants the Mets to have in year one and going forward. Um, but you would think that as a huge Mets fan who is now the owner of said team uh, and has 14 billion dollars, coming in and making a splash would certainly endear him to his new fan base, who has finally shed itself of an owner that, regardless to say, was not very popular in New York. So um, I think the Mets are going to be one of the teams this winter. Uh, You know how you hear what what we were just talking about? Team A is talk to the agent for player B. I think you're going to see the Mets as a team mentioned on every notable free agent on the market this year because every agent wants the Mets attached to their guy.
1: To be a stalking very, horse at the very least. Because,
0: you know, it's sort of the way that the Yankees have been treated for years of, you know, yep. people have said you always want the Yankees and Dodgers in on your guy because it just drives up the price for everybody else. Um, yep. That's going to be the method. Quick here. sidebar so, to that. Yeah.
1: Quick sidebar to that as far as, as long as we're talking like, you know, inside hot stove um, journalism talk. Sometimes the Cardinals get dragged into that, Right. Because A, they do their due diligence. So it's not misleading to say they spoke to the agent, but also because they won't comment. So that because they won't say no.
0: Right.
1: And well, they I mean, won't say yes. They won't say no. And so some agents know this and they'll say, well, we spoke to the Cardinals or the Cardinals are interested in my guy too. Or the Cardinals have had con- not interested have had conversations about my guy too. And it, it can be frustrating from my point of view because it's like, no, they're not. No, no, that's not no. But they're not going to say no and the cardinals aren't going to comment on it which is fascinating because i think that's it helps and now they're not the big spenders that these other ones are to drive up a price but they can be a convenient um, what is that called secret team or mystery team the mystery they can be a team, sure. mystery team because they're not going to comment
0: you know they're not the big spenders but they're also not the lowest spender. So it's when you hear that the Cardinals are interested in a player, it's not unreasonable to think that that's true. Whereas, you know, if if the mystery team, people were speculating, oh, I think the Rays might be in on George Springer, you know mm-hmm. that's not true. So <clears throat> I think the Cardinals are one of those sort of mid-level teams that it's believable that they could be in on a guy. Um, and, and the fact that, the, that they won't shoot it down. I will say, yeah. league-wide, uh, teams have gotten a lot better, all 30 of them, at not commenting. Um,
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: MLB and the union have really cracked down in recent years on on teams not saying anything about their interest or lack thereof on free agents because if Brian Cashman comes out and says, I am not interested in Trevor Bauer, then theoretically that depresses the market for Trevor Bauer. It takes the big market out of there. Now, there have been certain times where uh, teams have come out and made statements like that because a it wasn't going to really impact the market, and b it was just obvious. Sort of like what I said about Pujols and Teixeira before. Like Brian Cashman could come out and say, "We are not interested in signing Albert Pujols because we got that guy. We have this guy here, right?" I remember you know two years ago, uh, everybody desperately wanted to attach Bryce Harper to the Yankees. They just wanted that. That was like they have to get the Yankees involved. And after a while. Cashman finally came out and said, I have not spoken to Scott Boris about Bryce Harper, and I don't have any plans to. Like, he is not in our – or or he would say, I am not pursuing outfield help. I don't think he ever mentioned Harper by name <laughs> because of because yeah. the rules, and he respected the rules. That's what it was. He said, I am not looking for outfield help. And that was sort of like he can't say it any plainer without, you know, writing Bryce Harper's name in the sky with a skywriter. So – um you know teams have gotten a lot more careful about that and rightfully so i think you know the, it's part of the cba and they should live up to that and uh, you know that's that's fine it frustrates people like you and me when teams won't even off the record kind of give you their their thought process but fortunately there are still enough places to get some thought process from people that it's uh, <laughs> we can we can still keep the fans fairly well informed
1: fairly well informed so which brings us back to yadier molina there're three teams in addition to the cardinals who have reached out um, at as last check um, I spoke with his agent and I've uh, been kind of keeping up with at least from the Cardinals perspective and and then Yadier as well just kind of this notion of what he is intrigued by um, I know that the idea of being a free agent and hearing his value to other teams um, is of interest to him you know that's something he hasn't had and here he is 38 with the first crack at it but there are teams out there in need of catching and do you see Um, It sure sounds like you're kind of drawing a line between the Mets and Real Muto. Are you saying that they've talked to his agent? Is that what you're reporting?
0: (laughs) Let me make it clear that I am not reporting anything during this conversation. Okay. Other than than rehashing what I've already reported, I'm not reporting anything new because my bosses wouldn't like it if I'm breaking news on your podcast and not on our site. So let's start with that. (laughs) Fair point, but uh, I think I, it's I, safe I, to
1: say that the Mets will talk to Real Muto's agent at some point in
0: time. I, I would, I would imagine if they have not already spoken, that at some point They're. they will. Um, I realize where I, does
1: Molina fit into this? I didn't, where, I didn't actually
0: answer your question about the two catchers before, so let's get to that now. Okay, yeah. yeah, I think that Real Muto should be and likely will be the Mets' top target this offseason. He fits okay. there. He fits their uh, you know, need for another star. He fits their budget, which seems limitless. He's in a position they need. He's been in the NL East his entire career with with the Marlins and with the Phillies, so they certainly know him well. Um, and I think he makes the most sense for them uh, above anybody else out there on the market. So I think the Mets will certainly, you know, focus on him. Now, look, there was a story the other day and had a Philly, you know, source close to Real Muto says he was not really keen on the idea of playing in New York who knows, you know, could have been a friend. It could have been a clubby. It could have been his wife. Who knows? It could have been anybody, right? Uh, yeah. I don't usually hold much, put much stock into those stories because uh, Mark Teixeira supposedly didn't want to be a Yankee. Mike Messina supposedly didn't want to be a Yankee. Um, uh, CeCe Sabathia supposedly, reportedly wanted to play in California only. Uh, I've just seen enough of these things throughout the course of my time covering. You know, Bryce Harper didn't want to go to Philly um, I've seen enough of these things that uh, the the friend of player X says player X doesn't want to play in city Y. I just I, I usually because, you know, generally speaking, if the team then says, OK, here's 20 million more and that's now 30 million more than your closest um, competitor, he'll learn to love New York. Right. So if I had to predict right now, just a prediction, I'd say Real Muto goes to the Mets. Where does that leave Molina with the Yankees? You know, <laughs> I wish I knew what Brian Cashman was thinking on the Gary Sanchez front. I mean, Gary Sanchez is, um, has replaced um, everybody as the most polarizing player in New York. He is now the guy mm. um, who some Yankee fans think back to what he did that summer he came up when he had 20 home runs in 50 games, and you know he's he's been an All Star and he's and he's won Silver Sluggers and he's shown this great potential. And then he has seasons where, or, or stretches like he did this year where, you know, the old uh, couldn't hit the side of a barn, right. If you're standing in front of it or couldn't hit water, if you were hitting off the boat, that's what he looked like part of the time this year. So, um, you know, could the Yankees try to trade him? Sure. You'd be trading him at his absolute lowest point. Uh, I don't see them non-tendering him. You know, despite all of the non-tenders that I think will be out there. Um, so, if I had to guess, I'd say Gary Sanchez is probably part of the Yankees catching equation going into 2021. Um, And I just, you know, as an outsider, now you would obviously have a much better uh, opinion on this than I would. Um, From an outsider's view of St. Louis and of Yachty, I find it hard to see him playing anywhere else. Now we've said that about other players before. And then all of a sudden some player is playing the last two or three seasons of his career in some strange looking uniform. And it, Seems odd and everything else. Um, it just seems like the Cardinals would take him back. He would go back there. It's just a matter of working out a deal to keep him in that uni for however many years were left in his career.
1: Yeah, I think that's where this is likely headed. It'll be interesting because he wants two years, and that might be actually where the Cardinals have the edge, right? Because they it goes back to the notion of they know him well. They know him. They know him better than any other team, or at least they better. And their comfort level of going to two years with a catcher who's 38 might be a little bit greater than other teams who might want to go one and one or might want to go the one with a vesting option or might just want to go one and then see how he bridges them to a younger catcher. Um, He's going to want to play, and he's going to want to play a lot, and he's going to want to have a say in how games are called, and he's going to want to have a say in how often he plays, and he's going to want a two-year deal. And the place where that is most likely to happen is the Cardinals still.
0: Yeah. And I would think that there's a way to work that out where the Cardinals can give him a, you know, whatever base salary it is and put some, you know, some incentives in there to push it up. If he performs to the level to which he is accustomed, Uh, Mm -hmm. if he has confidence in himself, then those wouldn't be issues, whether it's plate appearances or uh, games, you know, innings caught or whatever it may be, Um, you know, basically just protecting themselves against a 38 or 39 year old getting hurt, which seems to happen from time to time. Um, especially
1: at that position. Well, actually yeah. we don't know. We don't know at that position. We have no history because there really hasn't been somebody that old to play that often. Um, you know, so we don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, by the time Posada was that age, he was mostly a DH. So, uh, you're right. It's uh, it's sort of like watching Tom Brady play quarterback. You're like, well, how does he compare to other 43 year olds who have played quarterback? Oh, wait, there haven't really been any. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you're right. It's, it's sort of uncharted territory. Uh it's interesting to me. Last year Scott Boris was, you know, sort of the agent of the year in terms of the pure number of big players he had, and it seemed yeah, like massive. he was controlling the entire marketplace for, for much of the winter, you know, aside from maybe, you know, two or three like Josh Donaldson, a couple other guys who were out there. This year, who's one of the most important agents on the market? Melvin Roman. <laughs> Yeah, between Yachty and Marcel Ozuna, <laughs> that's two very you know, Ozuna's. I mean, probably the fifth biggest player on the market this winter. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to see uh, a guy like that have the chance to you know, and obviously he had Ozuna last year, but Ozuna had the qualifying offer attached to him, and uh, and I think that that dinged his value a little bit this year. He has no such uh, draft compensation attached to him, and and he's coming off of a a year where he led the league in home runs and RBIs, and. Uh, had a nice postseason and you know, Marcelo Zuna's value is probably not higher ever than it is at the moment. So uh, it'll be, Hmm. it'll be interesting to see how, what kind of deal he lands. I think one thing that could impact him, the lack of a DH in the national league, if that's the way indeed that it goes um, as it appears right now, that it's going to go, that could chop out a number of teams from his market. uh, Yeah. Because I know he won a gold glove in, in Miami. I'm still not quite sure how that happened. Because uh, I've watched him play defense the last couple of years, I've talked to a lot of scouts, I've talked to a lot of executives. I mean, I'll rate him as sort of like the kindest evaluations of him are average, uh, mm-hmm. and and many of them are below average. So there's For no question. There's no question what he provides offensively. He is a a beast, and he can go out and he's a threat every time he picks up a bat. Um, but if there's no DH in the National League, that's gonna mm-hmm. that's gonna impact his value a little bit, I would think.
1: There are maybe a dozen Cardinal fans listening to this podcast right now going, what, who are you talking about? (laughs) Because that guy was not the cleanup hitter for the Cardinal, not the, I mean, he had a ferocious swing, um, but he did not have ferocious production when he was with the Cardinals. Now he's limited by his shoulder. That was part of it, but there has to be more to it. I mean, he just was, he he was below average as a cleanup hitter for the, for the Cardinals. His production was, uh, was below 790 OPS, which is just, I mean that's not the guy that you have batting cleanup for you. So the description you just gave is a little bit. Uh, you know, there, there's some fans having some cognitive dissonance going. Wait a minute, who is he talking about
0: again? <laughs> yeah, look, there's no there's no arguing what what Ozuna did for the Braves this year, right? 18 home runs, 56 no RBIs, led the league in plate appearances, led the league in total bases, 431 on base. He hit 338. His OPS was well over a thousand. Like, could have won a guy, triple crown. This guy was a monster. This year and everything that he didn't do in 2019. And look, he had a decent year, right? Yeah. In 2019, 29 home runs, 89 RBIs, 800 OPS. Like certainly a, a you know a good but not great player going into a contract year. You're looking at those numbers and you're going, well, he still hasn't come close to that 37, 124, 924 OPS he put up in 2017 with the Marlins before he got traded to the Cardinals. Um, You know the two years in St. Louis, he never even approached that year. Right that that year with the Marlins, everybody went, "Wow, this guy is just a beast." And you know that they had him, and they had Stanton, and they had Yelich, and all. And you're going, "Wow, this is like the best outfield I've ever seen, potentially." Um, And then he gets traded and puts up two good but not great years. Well, this year in the 60 game sprint season, he had a great year. And you look at the numbers, you know, sort of translated out over 162, and he played in all 60 games. Um, if you you know translate that over 162 you're looking at a uh, you know you're looking at a 45 home run 130 rbi season uh with an ops over a 1000 so uh yeah i'm, I'm sure there are, you could probably pick that out for a lot of players who uh, in one city are revered for what they did and in another city people are going who are you talking about
1: yeah 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 um you uh, we spent the season c- classified by tiers Um, you know, throughout the year, if you were tier one, you were a player and tested constantly, or you were in that tier one bubble clubbies, managers, coaches, players, tier two was more executives and support personnel and tier three was mostly media. Um, that was how they designated us at the ballpark for where we could go, how often we had to be tested, what kind of tests we had to take and all of that during the season under a pandemic. So naturally one of your first stories about free agency then goes and sorts the players by tiers.
0: Right. Well, I was tier four, which was people who stayed home all year and didn't step foot in a big league ballpark. So, got it. Got uh, it. Got it. it was.
1: <laughs> I did. I uh, I saw a lot of big league ballparks. I drove many, many miles.
0: Did you Did you actually drive the entire schedule?
1: I did. I drove the entire schedule except for San Diego. Eight thousand miles around. Eighty one hundred miles.
0: You know, I've often told people with love and sincerity that I think you're a lunatic. Sometimes, um, yeah. This just cements it. Uh, That's, I mean, I understand in the central you can do that. Um, whereas, like, even in the A, even if you were covering AL East team, that would involve you know, two drives or three drives down to actually three drives down to Florida, um, Uh and and everything else. And that could be there'd be a little more mileage. The Florida trips alone would be you know, over 6,000 miles. Um, but that's crazy. You're a uh, you're like you're like Cal Ripken.
1: Yeah, I mean I saw I went to every game they would let me go to. I and the one and the three that they would not let me into the ballpark for, I was outside the ballpark. So Which ones were those? The White Sox. The Cardinals had three games with the White Sox as they emerged from quarantine and the White Sox would uh, not let me tier 3 into the ballpark um, because of the infection rates in Missouri and because I had been in Wisconsin. And so their policy was not to let me in the door and so they didn't um but i was i was outside i did the zooms from outside um and then uh watched the games from my hotel and did my best to report what it was like inside the ballpark but yeah i mean i uh i even drove to the world series i drove from here to the world series and back wow. you know just was because it was, you were able to control it i was able to control my surroundings i was able to control decisions i made and right you know flying from here to san diego was like a reinforcement of like okay I get it. This that that was the right choice to make to drive. I mean, there were there were two really hard drives where it was back to back games: um, Milwaukee one night, Pittsburgh the next; Pittsburgh one night, Kansas City the next. Um, but you know, it, it it was like okay, but I can control. I I know I can make choices that uh, that allow me to stay at least give me a better chance to stay healthy.
0: And you're one of the few baseball writers who probably didn't see his Marriott point. Uh will suffer quite as bad this year.
1: Oh, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, sure, (laughs) that's what we're going with. Yeah, that's right side of
0: 2020, right? I mean, that's... uh, Yeah, that's true. I uh,
1: I got to know. In fact, you know, I got to spend a lot of time in a Marriott in Milwaukee. It wasn't planned, but I got a lot of time (laughs) there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: probably more than uh, than you bargained for. Um, Yeah. All right, let's shift back from area points and get back onto the tracks here. Uh, Yeah, we put out a story with the top five tiers of free agency. Um, Sort of looking at, yeah, I always find the straight-out ranking of free agents to be sort of bizarre because it's, you know, again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So if you're a team that has a stacked bullpen, you may look at, um, you know, a third baseman or a second baseman who maybe, you know, isn't quite as good as this top notch closer, but you, this guy has more value to you than this guy. Um, yeah. So rather than doing a one through 65, uh, we sort of picked our a group of 65 players. We, you know, you have to just cut it at some point. We couldn't, I wasn't ranking tiers and writing blurbs for 160 free agents at the time. Um, not, so yet. We, not, not yet. Not yet. And we'll have
1: plenty of time to do that.
0: That's true. Um, so, we picked a list of sixty five players and we kind of ranked them into tiers uh similar to what you do in a fantasy league when you're getting ready for your draft and you say all right here's the you know the 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 ten top players they, they're your tier one uh tier two tier three so obviously tier one is a much smaller group because to me we've already talked about all five of these guys there are five premier free agents who stand out amongst. Uh, yeah. this group as the top guys, Bauer, LeMay, Hugh, Ozuna, Real Muto, and Springer. And I did these tiers alphabetically, so nobody could say, oh, will you put this guy ahead of this guy? Nope, it's all alphabetically. The alphabet did that for me. Um, but those those five guys, um, to me, really stand out as the top guys. The second tier, uh, you know, you've know, you got some all-star type players in there, guys who have either been all-stars or um, – you know, have the potential to be all stars. Some of them are on the back end of their career. Some of them are still in their prime. But guys who you sort of trust—if you sign this player, you know what you're going to get out of them. They're consistent. They're solid. Um, and you're bringing them in for a specific reason that you need help in this position or whatever it may be. And the guys I'm talking about are guys like Michael Brantley, Alex Colome, Nelson Cruz, uh, Kevin Gossman, who was a little bit of a surprise to getting a qualifying offer from the Giants. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, Didi Gregorius, we had to add Brad Hand once. He was uh, cut loose. Um, you know, Liam Hendricks, another closer. So interesting, right there, you've got three closers, Colum A, Hand, and Hendricks, mm-hmm. who are all sort of in that tier two. They're the top three closers available this winter. Um, so I think, you know, you look – so, you know, it, it, these things shift year to year, but some really good, solid players who are out there. Tier three is sort of that next level of starting players who certainly – Will land deals. Will help teams. Um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr., Robbie Grossman, uh, Jock Peterson, Wong. Uh, Colton Wong. Colton Wong is in there. Um, you know, I think the fact that he had a down year offensively in 2020 is the mm-hmm. reason that I took him down from a tier two to a tier three. Um, you know, six seventy five OPS this year. Granted, it's it's a weird year right so I, I don't hold and i don't know the teams will necessarily hold a down year in 2020 against a guy just because of the unusual nature of it um, right but it also propelled some guys where taiwan walker is a tier three in my list and i don't think he would have been there last year right but he came in yeah, yeah. 270 era went to toronto at the deadline and had a 137 era and six starts helped him get to the postseason like um yeah. so i really solid Rich good Hill made
1: guys. millions off of that kind of thing
0: yeah you know good solid guys who are gonna gonna have no problem landing jobs the next category in tier four there was a lot of sort of guys looking at a bounce back uh, maybe some aging players you know all of a sudden you start looking at the ages in tier four 35 37 35 38 32 38 um, 35 36 37 so you're looking at more of those aging guys that don't maybe have the giddy up they once had but certainly are still uh, contributors, <laughs> I think one of the most controversial things that I've written that I've gotten more heat for on Twitter and from other people, agents, executive, whatever. We did another one, another story where we ranked the best player at each position in free agency. <laughs> oh, left-handed okay. starter is tough. There is no monster left-handed starter on the market this year, right? You're looking yeah. at you're looking at John Lester, who's 37 years old. You're looking at Mike Miner is coming off of an awful season. You're looking at Robbie Ray, who's coming off of an awful season. You're looking at at Jose Quintana, who's a little younger, but has said, you know, not you know real issues with the Cubs. Yeah, one start, he has not approached what he did with the Cubs. um, I'm sorry, with the White Sox, with the Cubs. So correct, yeah. uh, You know, he threw 200 innings a year, 2013 to 2016, and he hasn't hit that since 2016. So. You know, Robbie Ray terrible year. James Paxton was injured most of the year, so I chose J. Happ as the top left-handed starter. And wow, yeah. did my inventions go on fire!
1: <laughs> oh, you well, New York centric, such bias picking the guy who's the Yankee. Come on,
0: what J. Happ had a three forty-seven ERA this year. Yankee fans despise him, right? Yeah, and, and there was no question the Yankees were going to decline his seventeen million dollar option. That wasn't even. But you know what? you could do a lot worse as your number four starter than Jay hab And unfortunately, whilst there are some names that are bigger out there, right? John Lester has had a wonderful career. Jose Quintana was the, the bell of the ball to trade deadline a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Robbie Ray and Mike minor last year were both great. But right now, if I had to pick one of them to start every five days for me, I'd probably take J-Hab. Plus he's probably going to cost less. So, you know, you measure value into that and all that. Um, but yeah, that, that that took a lot of heat online for that. So, But yeah, so that, that's how we broke them up into tiers. It's just, you know, you, you try to figure like, especially when you're comparing positions, you're like, well, oh, would I rather have this guy or this guy? Who's going to cost more, this guy or this guy? And that all factors into it. But the point is there are, you know, a good number of free agents out there who will help a lot of teams out there. And, uh, you know, now it's going to be a matter of who's going to be willing to spend for them, who needs what. And I think for teams that are actually willing to spend some money this winter, I have no idea other than maybe the Mets, the Blue Jays, you hear about the White Sox potentially spending. I don't know which teams it will be, but I think the teams that are willing to spend some money will be able to really get good value for that money. Because, uh-huh. you know, if you offer a guy a deal that last year or the year before they probably would have scoffed at and said, oh, I'm going to wait. This year, they may look at that, their agent may look at that and say, this is going to be the best deal we get by far. We need to jump at it. And I think there's going to be a, a chance to take advantage of that for the teams that are willing to spend this year.
1: Which brings us to the Cardinals and sort of what I wanted to conclude with, because there's a lot of anxiety locally around the Cardinals that they don't spend. They don't ever spend. They're not going to be a player for the big, you know, there's a there's been a lot of old wounds opened up over the past week because they, you know, because they let Colton Wong go and they made it clear that they were going to try to reduce payroll. And there's just is a lot of frustration that the Cardinals are never going to be a big player, that they just pocket their money uh, and on and on and on and on from your, you know, national perspective. What's your, what's the vibe that you get about the Cardinal? I mean, you hear from, you talk to executives, you talk to the Cardinals executives and you kind of, I mean, you, you have your your finger on the pulse of this, um, League-wide, not just having to fixate on one team like some of those B-riders do. What's your sense of them and where they could be in this sandbox of free
0: agency? When they got rid of Wong, I had one executive speculate to me that he thought they did that with an eye on actually spending to bring in a free agent. Um, You know, fill the second base hole a little bit cheaper and then go spend some of that money you saved on somebody else. And I said, Springer? I said, maybe. Um, no, keep in mind, this was not a Cardinals executive, obviously. So this was not a matter of, like, internal plans. This is just somebody from another club speculating about how they view that roster. I think the Cardinals have to go out and get some outfield help. Um, that's not exactly breaking news. Um, you know, they were fourteenth in the league in runs scored this year. Their outfield had a collective 677 OPS, which is not very good. I believe that was 12th in the National League. Um, you know, third base is another spot that they can look at. I think given the number of players on the market, that's even, as we discussed earlier, going to get far greater, uh, once the non-tenders take place, I think there's going to be an opportunity to bring in some talent and not have to break the bank for it. And I think the Cardinals will be in that mode. I think about what the twins did a couple of years back, they sort of laid back in the weeds for the first couple months of a free agency, all of a sudden in January they signed Uta Rizzi and they signed um, uh, Marwin Gonzalez. And they signed a couple other guys and then they got a couple guys on one-year deals um, who were contributors. And all of a sudden you looked and, and the Twins had added like five quality big league players uh, you know, at a pretty reasonable price for all of them. They just waited mm-hmm. out the market.
1: Lance Lynn, Nelson Lance, Cruz. Lance,
0: yep, no, right. So I think this year... You're going to have a lot of teams trying that approach of waiting out the market. And at some point, teams and players are going to have to, as Brian Cashman loves to say, they're going to have to dance the dance and decide who their partner is going to be. Um, But I think there is an opportunity for the Cardinals and any other team that's even willing to spend moderately to improve their roster. Um, You know, could George Springer wind up with the Cardinals? I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's, it's absurd. Could I see it more likely that they sign a Michael Brantley? probably. Uh, but Michael Brantley would be a nice a nice addition to that outfield in St. Louis. So I think there will be a lot of outfielders looked at. I think you'll hear a lot of names. Um, like you said, agents are going to love putting the idea that the Cardinals are in on their guy out there because the Cardinals won't shoot it down. Um, but I think there are some very good outfield options out there that aren't going to cost a ton of money uh, that would make the Cardinals a markedly better team.
1: What's the... Pr- what is he- the view of the Cardinals in more general terms, too. I mean, do you, do you know? Is are they seen as a secondary contender? Are they seen as a as a fading contender? Are they seen as um, a metronome of contention? Are they seen as cheap? What? What are? How are they viewed? Um, sort of out there in the in the in the other world of you know, beyond St. Louis?
0: I think they're certainly viewed as a contender uh, almost every year. You know, the National League is tough because the team out in LA that just won the World Series is always viewed as the overwhelming favorite in the National League, right? Every year you go in and you're like, okay, who can compete with the Dodgers? Whoever wins the East, whoever wins the Central, do they have a chance to beat the Dodgers in the playoffs? Um, you know, Atlanta has certainly put together a nice run and they're starting to be a team that, that people think is, is going to be an annual contender you know, type of team, just given the young talent they have. Um, you know, the Cubs, most people kind of feel their windows just about over, uh, even though they won the division this year. You know, a lot of talk about Chris Bryant getting traded. Bryant, Baez, Contreras, guys are all going to be free agents next year. Like that core group that won the World Series four years ago, all of a sudden, <coughs> excuse me, all of a sudden they're not signed for very long and that window could close. There's a lot of talk about, are the Cubs going to increase payroll? Is Theo going to be around a year from now? Like just all sorts of talk about uh, sort of their future being a little bit shaky. You know, the Reds are one of those teams where you're like, Ooh, they're, they're making a move, but then all of a sudden now they're losing Trevor Bauer. So, uh, you know, what are they going to do to replace him? if they lose Trevor Bauer, which everybody expects will happen. Well, so that's a huge hit for them. The Cardinals are just kind of the, the, the consistency. They're that, you know, that, uh, nice cup of cocoa on a, on a cold winter's night. It's always there to warm you up. Uh, it's not the most exciting thing in the world looking at it from 10,000 feet up, but it's always there. And I think no one was really stunned that they made the playoffs this year. No one would be stunned if they make the playoffs next year. I don't think people look at them as cheap because they've done a pretty good job of, uh, of keeping their own guys. I know Albert left, but they'd given Albert a seven year contract first before he left. Um, you know, they've, they've re-upped the Yachty every time that he's been in, uh you know potentially coming up on his contract. They traded for Goldschmidt and gave him a big bag of money. So I mean they've they've made the moves. Um but you know I don't think people have them in the same uh stratus here with the Dodgers. Now I'll be interested to see sort of where they compare going into the year next year with a team like the Padres, who's this big hot young up-and-coming team with some star power with Machado and Tatis and um you know some some young pitching and uh, you know, I think the Padres excite people more than the Cardinals, um, but I don't think I don't think anybody looks at the Cardinals and goes, man, that team needs to blow it up and rebuild because they're just always they're always in contention.
1: So what then? Let's conclude here. When you think about the tiers, and you think about all that we've discussed here, you know, as far as being strategic positioning for spending, what what move would the Cardinals make that might make them different? Is that Springer? Um, Peterson is one guy I've brought up because one of the things that the Cardinals are slowly warming to is being a little bit matchup oriented like the Dodgers right. and the Rays are because they think that that might be cost effective for them um, where you get two per- people into one position. You might have to pay high for the one i.e., Peterson, but have the other one supplemented by being a, you know, zero to four guy and, that gives you aggregate production at that position. Um, you know, it, it, where do you think they might be a player in this free agent to radically change them? And I'll give you uh, some background here is one of the things that I've written about and my colleagues have written about and we've kind of looked at is the Cardinals are good enough pitching wise and good enough defensively, though less so without Wong. That if they just get average, just average offensively, then they're a better looking contender. Now, are they gonna win a sprint with the Dodgers? No, but can they beat the Dodgers? Well, the Rays did a couple times, right? And that's what well, the Rays Braves,
0: were. The Braves were three and one against them, right? They were up to one. The Braves until, were, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I'm not sure that I would go and get a Springer only because if you go out and spend the money on Springer. And again, this is all based on a budget, which I have no idea what it actually is. So I'm just sort no of one does. throwing darts at a wall. Moselec doesn't
1: know. So you're cool. But
0: <laughs> let's assume you sign a Springer. Theoretically, that's going to hurt your ability to go out after a whole bunch of other guys. I think back to the Red Sox 2013 season when they won the World Series. Against the Cardinals. They made, I. that's correct. I made, they made, that. I'm sure you all wrote about this and read enough about it. They made six free agent signings in that year, you know, leading into that season. None of mm. them were sexy. None of them were big, but they all fit what they needed. Just guys like Shane Victorino and David Ross and Koji Yuihara. You know, it was it was nothing, you know, Johnny Gomes. There was yeah. no there was no six-year deal. There was no twenty-five million dollar player. They went out and identified six players that they thought filled needs that they had and helped them fill those needs. So to me, if you look at guys like Ike Hernandez, you look at guys like uh, Doc Peterson. Okay. We're just naming Dodgers now. Um, you know, Jake Odorizzi. You look at it, Well, Odorizzi's is going to be costly, I think, even coming off a bad year. He's got enough of a track record that I don't think he's going to be, um, very inexpensive. But if you look at guys that you can get on short term like deals, Kluber. right? Corey Kluber is going to be a, a, a big gamble for somebody out there this year. There uh, you go. And, and, but you know, if Corey Kluber can be healthy, he's still Corey Kluber, even though he's 35 years old. So, um, you know, if you look at a guy, um, you know, Cesar Hernandez is going to be a lot cheaper than $12.5 million, and he's a perfectly good second baseman, um, you know, who led the American League in doubles last year. Like, he's a good player. Um, you know, there are there are players out there. I would identify the needs and then try to fit the needs based on the budget rather than making the one big splash and then having to fill in with, uh, you know, spring training invites. So... If the if the budget is not going to allow you to sign Springer and still go get some of those other big league players, right? Mm-hmm. Jonathan Scope at second base, or um, trying to think of, of other uh, other guys who are sort of in that mix, there are there are plenty of those players who are good, solid big league players who can help a team, right? and Profar, you can play him in the outfield, you can play him in second base, switch hitter. That's switch hit. That that's a guy who I think would fit the Cardinals really nicely. Um, I think there are going to be opportunities to find players like that, um, and, and bring them in and sort of put that puzzle together, uh, and versatility is the new wave, right? I mean, the Rays have been doing this for years where, you know, Ben Zobras was sort of that original Swiss army knife guy that everybody pointed to, but now you look at the Dodgers and like half the guys on their roster play four positions or, um, you know, the Yankees had LeMahieu moving all over the field. And I think that's going to be important. For that versatility, especially if you're looking at some of these platoon situations, like you mentioned with Jock Peterson, Mm -hmm. the more options you give your manager, the better off that manager is going to be. So I I could see the Cardinals sort of monitoring the free agent market in that view and saying, you know, how do we get better as a team rather than getting better in a spot?
1: I'm more team Sean Figgins, hashtag Figgins was first.
0: <laughs> That's fair. I, you know, so you all the credit, but man, you know? Sean
1: Figgins was an all-star. I guess so I, I, all over the I, place.
0: I get you know, and, and the Yankees used to get Figgins used to destroy the Yankees when I covered yeah. them on the beat. I mean, he we go out to Anaheim and the Yankees would walk into that clubhouse, and you just sort of the smell of it spooked them. Like they just knew <laughs> they were they were just in for it, and they would go out there. And so with these guys would be running and taking extra bases and playing great defense. The Yankees had these big sluggers who couldn't, you know, get out of their own way sometimes. And Sean Figgins was the one guy. They had Vlad. They had all these big players, Jim Edmonds, whoever it was. Sean Figgins was the one guy who tormented the Yankees. I think he hit like 470 against them or something. And it just seemed like he was always on second base. Um, So, But I think I always think of Zobris because he played with the Rays. I saw the Rays play 18 times a year. And yeah. so I was just, and, and when he played for Joe Madden on the Rays, Joe Madden would, uh, you know, would use him everywhere, just like almost for fun. Um, so I, I just saw yeah. a lot more of Zobrist. And then, of course, he went to the Cubs and he played that role with them in their championship year. So, of course, um, World Series MVP. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go recency bias because I'm thinking back 10 years. But uh, yeah, Sean Figgins certainly deserves his respect in the Swiss Army night conversation.
1: Absolutely. It was like he was playing second base and shortstop sometimes in the same game. You know, yeah. or at the same time, you know at the they same time, would, right? Yeah, they just would shift the other guy out of the way, and he would yep. play both. He uh, uh in two thousand nine, he was an all star, and he got a police escort from the airport in St. Louis to Bush Stadium so that he can make the game on time because he was a late addition right. to the all star. He was so those. thrilled.
0: I love those and stories. He,
1: and he promised us when he arrived, like he just advertised this. He promised us that because he was in St. Louis, he was going to do a backflip going out to his position he said that i'm doing it i'm here i'm an all-star this is this is ozzy's world i'm doing it it was great it was one of my favorite like kind of called shot moments
0: those are awesome i love that
1: all right mark feinsand at feinsand that's at f-e-i-n-s-a-n-d on twitter executive reporter for mlb.com mlb insider for mlb network Thank you very much for joining me. I have to tell people about our sponsor real quick, get organized with closet by design of St. Louis, update your closet garage office pantry and more call 1-800 by design. That's 1-800 B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N closet by design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find all of Mark's work at MLB.com. Correct. Yes, sir. And you can see him occasionally on any of the fine programs on MLB network. Um, I, uh, I might appear on there sometime. Maybe if the Cardinals do something, they might have me on. Maybe. Maybe me maybe one, we'll be on a
0: show together. Let me give one little other plug. I have a podcast called Executive Access. And oh, if yes. If you're interested in the front office side of the world of baseball, this is a podcast for you. I do sit-downs, usually about 40 minutes to an hour, with executives all around the league. I've had almost every GM. Uh, I think of just about every GM. Uh, assistant GMs, team presidents. We've had Mo. We've had Gersh uh you know go back they're all on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you find your podcasts i think we've got about 80 of them up there and uh you should enjoy it there it's sort of the look at how they got to the it's, it's not like talking about all right so what do you, what's your infield going to look like this year it's more it's almost like a biography uh mm-hmm. kind of show this is your you know what was the show with the, the actors inside the actor studio this is like inside the executive studio uh and we, wow. we talk about we talk about their path to the the, the big chair of what they're sitting in right now. and it's uh,
1: Does that make you the James
0: Lipton of baseball? Uh, maybe, just maybe.
1: Wow. The one with Gersh for Cardinal fans is really good to go back and listen to. The one with General Manager Michael Gersh, especially for fans who have a lot of questions about how he got to where he is and sort of his role with the team um, because Moselak has been so front and center during 2020 as the spokesman of the team in large part because of the pandemic and the outbreak and everything that really thrust Moselock back into the spotlight as the team spokesman. Um, but for people who want to know more about Gersh, your podcast with him is excellent. So thank you for bringing that up, Mark. Much appreciated. You can find that podcast on iTunes, along with the best podcast in baseball, is available on iTunes. You'll listen to individual episodes, download individual episodes. Please subscribe. Subscribe to both podcasts. Subscriptions are what make sponsorships possible. Am I right, Mark?
0: Absolutely. We love
1: sponsors. So, yes yeah, so please if subscribe I could, have,
0: if I could have your closet company who do my closet in new jersey i would
1: you could call 1-800-b-i-d-e-s-i-g-n 1-800 by design find out they might they might make the trip you know you never know i drove everywhere who knows where people are gonna drive <laughs> i learned a whole lot about what's possible it was like going back to college where we were just driving all over the big 12 covering stuff um yeah, you can rate and review the podcast there. Be sure to rate both podcasts excellently. But if you want to be critical, be critical of this one because I learn from it. So I like to uh, I like to get feedback that makes me better. So uh, much appreciated. Thanks for your time, Mark. Um, look forward to talking to you throughout this winter. It could be a very long, lengthy winter, but I hope it's a healthy winter for you, Mark. Thanks again for joining me.
0: Absolutely, stay well, Derek. Hello. I'm here. Are you there,
1: Derek?